So you always want to be prepared to... To set goals. To be really disruptive. Diversity is fundamental. It is just trusting those super strengths. To recover from those failures and, and learn from them. Humility looks like the softest word, but it's kind of the hardest. We ourselves are in beta mode. Life goes on. Sporting Edge, inside the mind of champions. Welcome to the Inside the Mind of Champions podcast. My name is Jeremy Snape. I'm a former England cricketer with a master's degree in sports psychology. Since retiring, I've been fortunate to work with and interview some of the world's most successful thinkers and performers. And I'm passionate about translating their habits and routines into practical strategies to help you become more successful. In each episode, I'll be dissecting a common performance challenge to help you improve your mindset, your leadership and your team performance. To me, our mindset is the next frontier. So let's find out why. Hello and welcome to episode 33 of Inside the Mind of Champions. I hope that wherever you're listening in from, that yourself and your family are safe and well. It's been a really interesting few weeks in the UK. The sun has finally started to shine. We've had the joy of seeing a crowd get back into the Lord's ground. It looked absolutely stunning in the sunshine where England were taking on New Zealand. And the restrictions finally feel like they're starting to ease, which has been amazing. My parents actually came to stay with us for a few days over the weekend for the first time in around 18 months. And they were saying how much they'd missed seeing the kids, you know, and in their late 70s. These times are so special with our close family and friends. So it makes these moments together even more special and important to savour. From a business perspective, we've been getting lots more inquiries for webinars and conference speeches as companies start to bring their senior teams and their workforce back together. So again, more positive signs. The the key themes seem to be well-being and resilience, getting that mindset tuned to coming back in, uh, innovation as people start to change and agility, and also purpose, people rethinking their corporate strategy and and trying to align themselves around the purpose seems to be another key area. So I'm really looking forward to getting out and about, interviewing some more people for our research and also getting out to some conferences. It's also been a great time to welcome some of the execs, entrepreneurs and coaches across into our members club. Our goal at the beginning of the pandemic was to build this platform that gave you access to all of our videos and high performance strategies for yourself and for your team meetings. And we're getting some great feedback from our membership. So remember that if you want to go to sportingedge.com forward slash membership and use that special code podcast 50 in the checkout, then you'll get your first month half price as a podcast listener. So you'll be able to explore all the interviews broken down, the 700 insights, all with little activity guides on about 70 different topics. And they should be able to give you really good on-demand solutions and also kickstart some of your Zoom meetings and Microsoft Team meetings. So I'd love your feedback once you get in. So let's get cracking with today's episode where we're going inside the mind of a leader who I think is redefining leadership, certainly in football, but also has some brilliant strategies and insights to share for business too. We're going to hear about his early life, that penalty miss and his leadership philosophy. So here's a taste of what's to come 
with our mastermind session with Gareth Southgate. Well, I think at the highest level of sport, the mental side is the biggest determining factor in success or failure. You knew when he gave you a well done, I suppose it's a bit Brian Clive-like. When he gave you a well done, you, I knew I'd, I'd done exceptionally well. My coaches and other people would say, oh, those guys will want it more because maybe they didn't have the qualifications that I got at school. The inner voice in my mind at some point in that build-up went from, if it goes to a six penalty and I score this, then I'm the hero, to suddenly thinking, what if I fail? Don't take it on as a job if you're not prepared for it to, to take your life over because um, if you want to be successful, then the top coaches, their life is their sport and, and there's no shortcut to that. So just before we kick off, I wanted to say a very quick thank you to everyone who's recommended this podcast to their mates and colleagues in social media and in their social networks. I really appreciate you spreading the word. And if you enjoy this particular episode, please do pass it on. I've been really fortunate in my career to meet and interview Gareth at some corporate events and also in my role as the LMA board member. Gareth was also a delegate at one of our Sporting Edge workshops a few years ago and it was a huge surprise to one of our corporate execs as he realised who he was sitting next to. But I think that's part of Gareth's magic. He's so down to earth and despite holding a position which at times seems more high profile than the Prime Minister, he keeps that calm, understated approach and uh, he gets my vote every time. He's an exceptional coach and man. My former Sporting Edge colleague Michael Caulfield worked with Gareth for a number of years at Middlesbrough in his early years of his management and between that role and his current England role he sat down with him with a chance to learn about his mindset and his leadership philosophy. As ever our early years play a foundational role in our character and this is how Gareth reflects on those formative years. Um, I think when I was well I know when I was younger I played all sports um, I had um, a family environment where sport was always on the television. Um, football wasn't as dominant on our screens as it is now. Um, when I was growing up, the only live match was the cup final and match of the day was after bedtime. So I saw as much test cricket in the school holidays or Wimbledon as I did any other sport. Dad played rugby and coached javelin. Um, so I had a real spread of sports that I was involved in. Um, but looking back when I was a, a kid on my own in the school holidays, I would kick a ball around in the garden. And um, I guess that was the, th the thing I felt most comfortable with. And I probably practiced more than any of the other sports, um, partly because I only needed me to do it. Whereas if I was playing cricket, I had to get mum out in the garden if dad was at work or um, rugby, um, you could only practice kicking, so I guess the fact I could practice on my own against the wall um, to a degree was, was why I initially was involved with football. And then small things stick in your mind that my parents talking to me about having to use my left foot, not, not just using my right foot, which when I think 15 years on I was a as comfortable as most players with, with either feet and that probably started from when I was four, five, six, seven with my parents saying use your left foot as well, it's, you, know, you don't just have to kick with your right and um, not in a forceful way but just challenging I suppose um, 
and football was um, what, I, what we played at the school I went to in my first primary school and um, followed a path through Sunday teams, secondary school, but always played other sports as well, probably until I was 15. I, I played rugby for the district and I ran and did, I won the county triple jump championships. So um, I think that helped me as an athlete with my endurance and my strength. Um, I see a lot of kids now who come into football clubs and um, maybe they physically struggle to cope with the intensity of the training. And I struggled at first, but I had a base of doing lots of different sports and I guess looking back, muscles that protect you from injury were, were quite well developed. I get a lot of emails and messages on LinkedIn from parents wanting the best for their talented kids. Well, this message is a powerful one. Gareth had a brilliant and long career as a player, but that didn't come from specialising too early. The movement patterns, muscle development and decision making from all those different sports will have helped him to build a strong base of coordination and communication, which gave him stability throughout his career. I love the image that Gareth shouting his mum at the top of her mark to come running in to bowl from behind the washing line to practice his cricket. But then eventually that solo skill development of football playing, kicking it up against the wall won over. But above being occasional training partners, Gareth parents played an influential role in forming the character that we see today. Almost everybody that you encounter as a kid has an influence of some sort on you. I, I'm a big believer that the family create you as a person, the environment of your family creates you as a person. Uh, and my father, and I've, I've heard this from a lot of sports people, was somebody that was totally supportive, but slightly in the background, not pushy, um, would offer little bits of advice, little challenges, um, would take me wherever I needed to be, but he was never the loud parent on the side shouting at me or praising me. Certainly didn't go overboard with his praise, but you knew when he gave you a well done. I suppose it's a bit Brian Clive-like. When he gave you a well done, you, I knew I'd, I'd done exceptionally well. And actually he changed slightly when I was older. I think almost he could see that as a senior player, you get so much criticism from outside that he actually made a point of praising me more when I'd done well, which was an interesting thing. Um, but certainly parents, I think, are, are crucial in any athlete's formative years. And then particularly for boys, I've read lots of books about raising boys, but mentors outside the family um, seem to have more importance. And I can relate to that because I had PE teachers at school who, who were positive influences. Um, and then I was very fortunate 16 that my youth coach at Crystal Palace, a guy called Alan Smith, um, became a second father for me and took me through a formative period of t you know, late teenage years, which is a real difficult emotional and mental growing period for any boy. Um, set good examples for me, um, showed me a broader spectrum of life than my family were able to show me, could understand problems that my parents then couldn't understand because I was now in a professional sport, um, but had cared about me as a person. And um, uh, I think he, he 
would be the biggest influence on my career and I'm still very close with him which I think is a great thing if you're a coach you know I think that's something that you must feel very proud if players when they're later in their life keep in touch with him. I love that point about Gareth's dad being slightly one step back in the beginning and encouraging him to work hard before giving too much praise but then switching gear as the environment around Gareth changed to be more judgmental. He then became more energised and more positive to make sure that Gareth in that adversity didn't lose heart. Alan Smith at Crystal Palace also played a bigger role than just tactics and technique, nurturing his character by balancing care and stretch challenges that would accelerate Gareth's growth as a professional player. My parents played a similar role, so I can definitely resonate with what Gareth says here. But the time comes to join a professional team and you can feel alone. You can feel like you've been thrown in at the deep end. For me, that was at North Hans Cricket, surrounded by the likes of Alan Lamb and the amazing Kirtley Ambrose from the West Indies. The standard jumped up dramatically from the schoolboy level that I'd been playing. And it leaves you with lots of questions. Do I fit in? Where do I sit? Can I speak in this particular meeting? Am I good enough to play at this level? Gareth's initial experiences at Crystal Palace sheds more light on both his self-awareness, but also his hunger and drive to reach the top in this new environment. Um, I really struggled as a young footballer um, my first few weeks at Crystal Palace when the game went from being uh, something I did as at the end of school or, or at the weekend to becoming my job and my profession and I was physically a boy and the people I was training with were, were men. I was from a different area to the, the guys that I was playing with. They were streetwise Londoners and I was, I grew up in uh, a new town down in Crawley which was a different sort of environment. Um, and I remember the first day of training um, we did a 12 minute run around a pitch and I got lapped twice and I had to do an extra 10 minutes and I, I, I crawled to the station to get the train home. Um, and I then realised within that opening two months how much physically stronger I needed to be because there was a lot more emphasis on strength and athleticism then. Um, but that stood me in good stead because that grounding I got in those first two months of strength training and fitness work, I think, allowed me to play 700 matches as, as my career went on. Um, and it also made me mentally a much tougher person. But I was always determined. I was, my coaches and other people would say, oh, those guys will want it more because maybe they didn't have um, the qualifications that I got at school, even though I only had a very average set of O-level results. But I, I got eight O-level passes and people would always say, oh, well, you won't want it as much as they do. You know, I, I, I was from a working class family, but not, we weren't struggling. Um, and um, I think there was always that perception with me when I was young, oh, well, he speaks reasonably well, so he, he won't care or he won't be prepared to fight and dig in as much as some of the others. And, and I was always determined to prove that wrong within football. I can picture a red-faced lad dragging his exhausted body to the train station, having bust a gut to keep up with everyone's expectations. Again, the physical demands can be as daunting as they are exhausting. Do we really have to train like this every time? You can imagine him asking. 
Through this hard work and perseverance, Gareth not only became acclimatised to that level of physical exertion, but he benefited psychologically and his physical and mental resilience were dual outcomes of that environment. At the same time as he was having his muscles tested, he was having his motivation tested too. There was an assumption that Gareth didn't need a professional career as much as some of his teammates but they were wrong to assume that underneath his reserved nature and comfortable upbringing, there wasn't a burning desire to reach the top. So Gareth had the hunger simmering away and just needed an opportunity to find out if he was good enough to make it to the very top level. As he now explains, this wasn't an immediate process, but a move of clubs provided the evidence he needed to develop that all-important self-belief. I didn't think about playing in the Premier League until I was um, in the reserves at Crystal Palace and then I didn't know if I would be good enough to make the first team. I played 110 reserve games which I think is some sort of record <laughs> um, and I'd like to add those onto my 700 other games if I could <laughs> but I can't. Um, but they, um, I had a ma great manager Steve Koppel at the time but he didn't want to risk young players, he had a very successful first team. So there was no obvious path to the first team. And I didn't know if I was good enough. Um, and so uh, I didn't know if I would be staying at Crystal Palace who were in the what was the second division then, what's now the championship, or whether I would be going to a lower team on loan or, or to, to sign permanently. Um, and then when I got into Crystal Palace's team, I didn't know if I'd be good enough to play for England and go somewhere else. But once I moved to Aston Villa um, and I was training with more international players, I realised that actually I was at a level that was as good as they were. Um, and that gave me confidence. So we put a lot down to coaching, but we, we must never underestimate the environment of training with good athletes and the competition of training and how that brings you on as a player. Um, we talk a lot now about best against best and there's certainly a lot in that because if I think back to the, t the successful teams, the challenge in training really raised the level of your performance every day. Gareth's points worth reflecting on there. We spend so much time considering individual skill and workplace development but actually being alongside better players and performers not only stretches your game, but also gives you that evidence you need that you're good enough to progress. With so much self-doubt in our sports teams and our offices, healthy competition and objective comparison can be transformational in somebody's development. But notice that Gareth didn't make that classic mistake when we're low on confidence of comparing our own weaknesses and vulnerabilities with everyone else's super strengths. He quietly assessed himself against his peers in an objective and rational way and worked hard to close the gaps and areas he needed to develop. Being able to stay calm and rational when the pressure starts to rise is a key characteristic of high performers and that winning mindset. And as Gareth now explains, the mental game in football is absolutely essential for success. Well, I think at the highest level of sport, the mental side uh, is the biggest determining factor in success or failure um, because everybody is playing at that level because they have outstanding ability if you represent your country at any sport 
um, then that's a fantastic achievement that will have taken years and years and years of dedication. Um, you might be an overnight success after 15 years. So um, what differentiates the very best, I would say, a mental toughness and a hunger to keep achieving and a, an internal drive to keep achieving. Um, there's no question that the psychology of a team, of an athlete, uh, of a manager massively affects performance. So it's interesting to think that for a sport as big in the world as football, that it's not been the front runner for psychological skills training with millions of pounds resting on the confidence, focus and decision making of a particular player and manager. The US sports and the singular sports like golf and tennis seem to be far more proactive in embracing mental coaching as a positive rather than a remedial thing. And I think footballers traditionally being quite inward looking and sceptical of people coming from the outside, but that's definitely changing. And I think Gareth, again, has been a, playing a huge role in that shift. I've been very fortunate to sit on the board of the LMA, the League Managers Association, which looks after the well-being, legal and leadership development support for the managers of the Premier League right down uh, through the different levels. And I've seen firsthand this push to embrace psychology in football and I have to say it's very welcome you know the old iconic style of leadership with powerful personalities dictating the play has been replaced by managers who've got a very different and closer relationship with their players but the best leaders definitely understand psychology and that's a timeless thing whether it's Sir Alex Ferguson, Brian Clough or the modern managers and they need to understand these talented individuals and also the psychology of the teams, which is so dynamic. So you have to have that self-awareness and that situational awareness of what's going on in front of you, almost like a detective trying to understand the clues that are there in front of you. And that's why I'm so passionate about sharing our research and our content to try and help managers and leaders to raise their game in that particular element through our members club. Over the last 10 years, myself and the Sporting Edge team of psychologists and corporate learning experts have been curating the best insights from our interviews with around 100 world-class thinkers and performers into these tiny two-minute videos which can give you a massive insight or a powerful leadership strategy to inspire your team in a Zoom meeting. The search engine helps you to find clips on things like difficult conversations or building trust in seconds and we also have some weekly micro lessons and this week's focus for the members club is from Gareth actually with tips on leadership and mindset and developing a high performance culture. If you're interested in developing a winning mindset in your business then here's some more information on how to join our members community. During times of uncertainty and pressure your mindset will be the key to your success. Sporting Edge members have unlimited personal access to hundreds of video insights and performance strategies to accelerate their personal and professional success. This is your chance to get powerful weekly micro lessons from the world's best thinkers and performers from elite sport. You'll be able to connect with a global network of entrepreneurs, coaches and senior executives on webinars, discussion forums and events. Become a Sporting Edge member and get access to the world's best coaches on demand. For more information, visit www.sportingedge.com or email hello at sportingedge.com. 
So remember, as a podcast listener, you can use the code podcast50 in the checkout at sportingedge.com forward slash membership and get your first month half price. You can cancel at any time, but with the chance of having a coffee with a different legend every day, I'm sure you'll absolutely love the content that's waiting there for you and it'll help you to drive new habits and new thinking in your own career. I think one of the most fascinating areas of mental performance is handling pressure and Gareth now explains how his mind got hijacked by emotion and the consequence of failure in that famous penalty moment in Euro 96 against Germany. It's a fascinating insight and shows how even the elite performers suffer from those self-doubts and the fear of failure just like the rest of us. And that's why coaching in this area for me is the important next frontier of high performance. I think any sportsman has periods in their career where they are afraid of failing. I, I, I can't imagine there's anybody that hasn't been through that period. But you have to find a way of controlling that fear. And I think once you've failed a few times, um, then you realise that there is, there is nothing to fear from failing. And that failing is probably the best learning experience that you can have. Um, Look, I know in Euro 96, when I went to take the penalty, the inner voice in my mind at some point in that build-up went from, um, if I score this, if it goes to a sixth penalty and I score this, then I'm the hero, to suddenly thinking, what if I fail? Um, and that, again, as a coach, looking back, great learning experience because I wasn't as prepared as I needed to be for that to perform that skill in that environment under that pressure. Um, but fascinating how the mind works and, and how the idea of that fear of missing suddenly took over from the positive um, that, that had been there for me throughout the rest of that tournament. So um, I, I do think there were periods when I played for England after Euro 96 where I was worried about making a mistake. And you have to come through that and then, you know, once you you have to recover from those failures and, and learn from them uh, and realise that, well, the next morning you, you wake up and the sun shines or whatever and life goes on. So Gareth speaks so openly about this moment, but rather than be defined by this setback, he's changed the ending to the story. This wasn't the moment of national shame that ruined his career. This was the making of him and he's converted that very public setback into a unique empathy with his players, guiding them through these moments from a technical and psychological perspective so that they can avoid the feeling that he had in 1996. As a result of his work, the under-21s team won a penalty shootout, as did the national team when they beat Colombia 4-3 in the 2018 World Cup. Gareth's celebration at that moment when Eric Dyer slotted in that final penalty turned the nightmare into a beautiful fairy tale. But in the aftermath of his own penalty miss, we wanted to know how he coped with that enormous public criticism and scrutiny. And his story is an absolute classic. I drive home with my wife the day after and all of a sudden we've got the nation's media, you know, annoying our neighbours parked all over their gardens. And we go into the house and we've got them knocking on the door and we've got offers from the news of the world and we've got goodness knows what else. Um, so all of a sudden our whole world is up in the air and I don't know what the reaction of anybody's going to be. Um, so we do the, uh, you know, the, the, 
the most honourable thing and we run away from the country as quickly <laughs> as we can and get on a flight at uh, Heathrow. Um, and I walked to the top of a mountain in the middle of Bali and, and a guy, a Buddhist monk sort of says to me, oh, English, a penalty drama, <laughs> which was the headline in the local paper when he had read it. So I sort of turned to my wife and said, I think our lives might have just changed slightly here. I love that story and it just shows that you can never run away from your issues. We need to tackle them head on. You can't escape even to a mountaintop in Bali. But what Gareth did from a psychological perspective teaches us a really powerful mental skill. One way to process that information is to say that I'm crap at football, I'm crap as a person, it's going to last forever and it just can't be changed. That is my destiny. But instead, Gareth looked back and saw a specific moment, a specific psychological technique and knew that he could develop that skill and go on to be successful again. This ability to isolate the setback to a time, a task, uh, and that ability to know that you can develop it and grow it uh, and learn from it to create a more positive future is absolutely the cornerstone of personal resilience. So we can all see the success and the respect that Gareth has earned as a leader and a manager in recent years. We can also see the dedication and professionalism that he shows. And as he now explains, leadership in these roles can be all-consuming. I think if you coach or, or manage people, it's all-encompassing um, because you never switch off. You're always thinking when you go home at night, how can I affect X, Y, Z? How can I affect that player? How can I, what can I do for that member of staff? I need to have a word with the guy that I've left out of the team. My centre forward's got a problem. How do I deal with that? What, what can I do for my uh, physiotherapist? You know, he, he needs a, a lift. He needs to go on a course. He needs a clip around the ear. So there's always something you're planning for. There's always a, the next game, the next competition. Um, don't take it on as a job if you're not prepared for it to, to take your life over because um, if you want to be successful, then um, the top coaches, their life is their sport and, and there's no shortcut to that. So I don't think too many people will be shocked to hear that some of the top leaders and managers have an obsession with their craft. There's a lot of people at the moment saying that you don't need that hustle and we need more balance. But I absolutely appreciate that as an entrepreneur myself. But I also believe that to reach the top in anything, you need that healthy obsession so I'm not suggesting that this should derail our personal relationships or our own health, but we need that constant quest and that drive to find improvements, to consider new options and to keep testing and learning to get things into the shape that you want them. For anyone taking on a leadership role, we shouldn't underestimate the focus it needs to be a success. As a final insight, let's hear Gareth's perspective on what makes a great coach. If I looked at somebody like Terry Venables, somebody like Glenn Hoddle, who had some excellent ideas, um, I think how they make you feel as a person is important. Um, that you feel that they care about you. You know, I've, I've played with a manager that I worked with for six to eight months, and he might have been able to tell you who my, how many children I had, and. Uh, 
other things that happened in my personal life. I, I've played with other managers that I've worked with for years who still don't know how many kids I've got. And, and, and that surprises me. Um, so I think modern people like to feel that you care about them. Um, I think the days are gone where somebody turns up at work, you tell them what to do and they just get on and do it. I think they want to know, well, why are we doing it and what's in it for me? And um, So I, I, I think that um, that's important for a coach. And I think people like to be challenged and just stretch that little bit. Something that's just beyond what I, I know I can do. Just something that takes me slightly out of my comfort zone. Not, not a skill that's unachievable, but something that makes me think. And um, again, the best people I worked with set me little challenges in training or in, uh, in a match that uh, uh, maybe a, a role. Because otherwise you, you switch off. You know, If it's just a, a treadmill of training today, nothing to think about, or a, a match, you know, you're just worrying about winning or losing. Whereas actually, if you give them a new role or a new, something to focus on within that performance-based thing, rather than a winning or losing thing, which we can't control, then, um, then the coach makes you, you, you think about other things and develops you as a person. And, you know, as, as coaches, we, we are developers of people, I think. We, we, um, we should be helping people grow, not just as an athlete, but as a person. I think it's a huge responsibility that we, that we develop good people for society as well as, um, as developing them as athletes. So Gareth's own experience of his coaches caring about him as a person, not just as a performer, clearly left their mark. Maybe those relationships had more trust. Maybe he felt safer to express himself. And maybe it's this combination of factors as well as the skill development that inspired his best performances. He speaks about trying to take that holistic view to stretch the players' technical abilities, grow their tactical awareness, but also to try and bolster their character and their personal leadership. This is easier said than done with wealthy individual icons. But Gareth's approach is not about fancy management and short-term fads. It's about building long-term trusted relationships based on integrity, honesty and trust. Some of the players he's working with now in the senior England team he's worked with through the age groups, they've seen his quiet determination to stand up for his key values and to lead a transformation one day at a time. I watched the interview with him last week where the team got booed for taking the knee. He spoke calmly about being disappointed with the fans' reaction and that the fans should consider how the players felt when they heard that booing and almost consider it as if it was their children that were out playing and, and getting that kind of reaction. He said that he and the players were united in the message that they wanted a more inclusive culture in football and across society. And the empathy he shows for these lived experiences of his young stars is absolutely tangible and he's determined to keep moving forward alongside them. Their focus is rightly on the football because the success that that creates gives them an even better platform for social change. Another great example of how the players are growing and leading beyond the pitch is Marcus Rashford, who's been lobbying the government about child food poverty and the need to provide school meals for those most in need. 
He's forced a government U-turn and this has become a brilliant story of him being a role model off the pitch. I'm sure Gareth is absolutely thrilled to see his young stars becoming such influential characters off the field. So we've heard some fascinating insights into Gareth's early years. They've shaped not only the player that he became, but also the leader that he's become today. We heard how he learned multiple sports before he specialised and proved those early doubters wrong that he actually had that fire and commitment and hunger to get to the very top. He developed his confidence slowly but surely and went on to have a great career with over 700 games and 56 caps for England. And after finishing his player career at Middlesbrough, he took on the manager's role and learnt some massive lessons before going back into the FA development teams in the under-21s from 2013 to 2016. He stretched and developed the players as much off the pitch as he did on it, and he's now reaping the rewards from having some courageous role models who are excited to express themselves on the biggest stage. I often reflect back on that England game versus Iceland when the players just look emotionally hijacked by that situation. The burden of playing for their country just seemed too much, and they were overthinking, heavy-footed and fearing failure. It became a self-fulfilling prophecy. And then Gareth took over and knew that the mindset of the players would have to change if they were going to you know, transform their performance. And he led this in an authentic and progressive way. He knew firsthand what it felt like to fail, the humiliation and shame that came from it. But instead of letting that define him, he passed on a brand new mindset of confidence, optimism, controlling the controllables and helping the players to develop their mindset as a secret weapon. He wasn't fearful of losing his job. He wasn't fearful of making mistakes. He just wanted to have a growth mindset and keep developing himself and his team forward in a way that showed integrity, hard work and progression. And he's definitely done that. So Gareth's ability to face the biggest challenges and take 100% accountability, I think, is inspirational. By ensuring the players feel safe and protected as human beings, not just as international sports stars, he's nurtured them to the point where they're excited about the challenge of wearing the three lions and realising their boyhood dreams. Gareth is not just a world-class football manager. He's an intelligent, authentic and caring person. Many industries are feeling that tension of the shift from the command and control style of leadership to this more facilitative and coaching style of leadership. And this not only unlocks more potential in our talent, but it also fosters new levels of engagement. After the global crisis of the pandemic, bringing more care and humanity back into the workplace is absolutely the right thing to do. Everyone's had their own challenges but we need to be respected and nurtured to help everyone to progress in their career rather than shame and belittle them and stack on more pressure. I'm sure like all England fans listening, you'll join me in wishing Gareth and the team well for the Euros. But aside from that, Gareth is doing an amazing job as a role model for this new era of leadership. And I think we can all take a lesson from his empathy, authenticity and his clear communication with the media and the fans. So that's all we've got time for today. Remember to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'd love you to share this episode with your network. 
And also please do come over to sportingedge.com forward slash membership and get involved in that members club. Come and join us there in that community. Use that podcast 50 to activate your special rate. And I really hope you have a great day, whatever you're up to today. Drop me a note if I can help you with anything personally or for your business through to hello at sportingedge.com. And I can't wait to uh, hear your comments and uh, see you soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Mind of Champions. Connect with Jeremy's LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram links in today's show notes to receive the latest insights from his work. If you'd like to get access to Sporting Edge's digital library or book Jeremy for a conference speech or webinar, then please visit www.sportingedge.com or email hello at sportingedge.com.